Mr. President, distinguished heads of state and government, excellencies, colleagues and friends. The United Nations Charter sends a clear message to us all. Put people first. The first words of the Charter, we, the peoples, are a summons to place people at the center of our work. Every day, everywhere. The United Nations General Assembly. This is the pinnacle of global diplomacy. For one week every year, more than 190 world leaders gather here in New York City. Each has the opportunity to lay out his or her vision for the coming year. It's a time for dialogue, discourse, and meetings of the minds. But does it actually accomplish anything? After all the speakers come and go and the General Assembly Hall falls quiet, will the world be any different? I'm Willie Lowry, and on this week's edition of Beyond the Headlines, I'm joined by the National's Editor-in-Chief, Mina Al-Arabi, and Damian McElroy, our London Bureau Chief. I just want to interject uh, and apologize for any music you might be hearing. It's New York City during the UN. It's absolutely crazy, and we have found the quietest room that we could find in all of this city. my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? That was 16-year-old Greta Thunberg's impassioned address to world leaders at the Climate Action Summit. The young environmentalist chose to sail across the Atlantic in order to attend the summit, shunning air travel because of the high carbon emissions it entails. She's already backing up her words with actions and has been a real bright spot at this General Assembly. Mina, I want to start with you because you've covered a lot of these before. Have you ever seen someone like Greta Thunberg before so resolute and passionate at such a young age? Her young age is what really makes her stand out. It's interesting how every year at the UN General Assembly, there's a star. Um, A couple of years ago, they had the famous Yazidi survivor of ISIS crimes, Nadia Murad. She was seen all over New York um, from the Met to the UN podium. And her story was, of course, very harrowing. So Greta is similar in that sense. It's somebody who's outside the usual realm of diplomacy, who isn't trying to score points, so to speak, and isn't measured and actually speaking from the heart. And that's what makes people like her so appealing. And it is her young age that that really does make her stand out. I think she was able also to make an impact because she wasn't just out of the blue yesterday. She's been, you know, in people's consciousness for a while now. And the fact that she has that strength to stand in really, you know, daunting atmosphere with all these world leaders and and tell it to them as it is. And how effective do you think, you know, she was able to be? I think she's effective in the sense of everybody felt like, okay, this is a serious issue. And also there was some sort of embarrassment, let's say, amongst those with consciousness um, and who or consciousness even um, who felt that you know she is telling them that you're taking away our childhood I shouldn't be the one who's here to tell you to do this and so I think she was affected like that in terms of actually changing policy 
it's part of a greater movement. Corporations definitely realize now that they're, uh, whether if, if not their shareholders, definitely their customers and the people that they want to attract to come work for them, generally from a younger generation care about these things. They have to take it seriously. So I think it's actually much more, it's resonating much more in the private sector than it is in the public sector. And let's talk a little bit about the public sector. Antonio Guterres had warned world leaders to come with concrete plans and not just words. Do you think that actually happened? They all did come with small announcements. And some of these were recycled and others were actually genuinely new announcements. It was interesting to see the French president, Macron, came and, and was very you know, concrete. This is what France is going to do and so forth. And of course, he wants to defend the Paris Accords, the climate accords. So it was a follow on from that. But he you know, said that they'll take it further. It was interesting, of course, the UAE announced that they would have... Um, 50% of their energy being clean energy um, within, I believe, uh, 30 years, if I'm not mistaken. And so, so you did have countries coming with very specific things. However, a lot of these were already in the pipeline. And the problem with these sorts of summits, I mean, the climate summit, each world leader had three, four minutes, you know, a bit on stage. They tried to make it, mix it up with panels. But at the end of the day, it was, you know, everybody had their quick presentation and went. This isn't like the hard negotiations that are required to really move the needle. Yeah, no nitty-gritty. There's no question that climate change and the environment has played a big role at this year's General Assembly, but there's definitely, of course, been much else discussed. President Donald Trump once again laid out his anti-globalist agenda. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. And if you want peace, Love your nation. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. And now I want to bring you in here, Damien. What did you think of Trump's overtures to the UK and leaving the European Union during what is a very difficult time for himself, but also, you know, his colleague Boris Johnson? The image of the two of them sitting side by side while um, one was about to fly home because the Supreme Court had overruled his government and the other facing within hours the Speaker of the House calling for the start of impeachment. Previewing that really was um, Trump at the podium where he gave a quite an uncharacteristic performance. It was... It really put flesh on the bones of America first in, in quite a philosophical way. Um, and so, therefore, to, if you like, cherry-pick and say Britain's the sort of country we want to have a deal with, we are sure we could have a deal that would be on terms that would be good for us and good for them, is is a very Trumpian statement. And, and so, in that sense, you know, it, it made sense. It, it was really a very different Trumpian performance, but... Um, and in the context of what was happening in the afternoon, you can't help but feel it was one of substance and, and a, real, um, a real attempt to show what he's all about before um, we go into another spiral of Washington infighting and possibly worse for him. Uh, now, one of the things that really caught my attention during his speech was he seemed bored the entire time. I mean, do you think he simply is just tired of this? or No, I think he was trying to do something different. I think um, 
I think there was an element of what was coming up. There was an element of the infighting. There was an element of um, this is one part of my business. And yes, it was low wattage. But I think, I think there was something deliberate about the way he did it. I'm going to let you uh, jump in here, Mina. I think he struggles to be scripted. And I think they had said to him, read the speech from the teleprompter. Do not interject. Do not, and, and, and that's against his nature. We've all seen the way he gives speech, speeches. And he likes being on the campaign trail and he likes being unscripted. And, I, and you could see he was struggling with it. And there were times when he wanted to probably add in. And he, but he had very uh, strict instructions, it felt. Yeah, I, I think that certainly makes sense. And noticeably absent from his speech were two areas we pay a great deal of attention to, the wars in Syria and Yemen, though he did focus a great deal on uh, Iran. Uh, what do you think he was trying to accomplish? I think he was trying to keep it actually to quite safe areas for him. Um, I don't think he had much time for things where he didn't have anything to say. And so if somewhere was omitted, I think unfortunately that is because he didn't feel that there was any advantage to him in um, mentioning them. Um, uh, but yeah, he's got an outreach to Iran. He's got, he's got a game he wants to play. Um, whether that game will work out and whether it works out in the way that he wants it is anybody's guess, quite frankly, at the moment. And speaking of the Middle East, it's obviously an incredibly tense time in the Gulf. The international community seems to still be coming to grips with the attacks on September 14th on Saudi Aramco. Now, the U.S. and European Union, as well as Saudi Arabia and, and many other Gulf states, say Iran was behind it. You, you know, for over the, the course of, of these, these few days, what kind of movement do you think we're going to see on this subject? It's a good opportunity for the leaders involved to sit around the table and talk about these things. And the fact that the Americans already convened the GCC countries on the ministerial level and were able to talk directly, so not having to shuttle between one place and the other was important. It also gives an opportunity to the Americans to work with the Europeans or with other countries that are interested in this. It was, it was important that even before the high-level debate kicked off on Tuesday, we had a statement from the Europeans, namely the Germans, the French, and the Brits, saying that this is unacceptable what's happened and they called on Iran to go into negotiations about their missile program and their role in the region. And so I, I'm not sure they would have felt the same urgency to come out quickly and, and take that position after quite a, a silence because they were here, they were at the UN, they were going to meet with their American counterparts, they were going to see their Arab counterparts. They kind of had to make their position clearer than again if they're, if they're quite distant. So the, the presence of everybody in the UN is important in that sense. And also the fact that there are UN investigators in Saudi Arabia at the moment, again, puts the focus on the UN has to play a role in this. It can't just be seen as US and a couple of Arab countries versus Iran. This is a bigger issue. And what do you think the, the coming months are gonna look like then for us? Um, there is an element of what happens here this week matters. We, we will have to see um, just how intense the, the dialogue gets. I mean, obviously, there is, has been a situation of escalation. It's really about trying to crack the nut and get that going in the other direction. But if there isn't some initiative that does that, then you would expect at least continuing provocations, continuing acts that make headlines and actually involve dangerous situations and 
raise the tensions yet further. Now I want to open uh, this up to both of you now. One thing so far from the General Assembly that surprised you, you know? I wish I could say I was really surprised by different positions, but I was surprised by Donald Trump's speech not going into details, for example, on North Korea. You know, I mean, there were some points that were to be expected, but I was surprised that we got used to him making statements about moving forward on North Korea or or threatening a particular country. I mean, on Iran, he was strong, but it didn't really deviate from what we already knew. So I guess, yeah, the, the restraint that Trump showed was a bit of a surprise in the fact that we didn't really see anything further from him during the speech. I mean, the other thing is it's, it's the absence of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister. He's been here, I think, for the past decade. We've had him come and do his major speeches. And so the fact that he's not here is not a surprise. I mean, we kind of guessed it, but you could see that really Israel and Palestine are not on the agenda in large part because of what's going on in Israel. It's true, although I have to say uh, Erdogan picked up the mantle and used lots of props today in his speech. Well, you've both just taken my line, actually. It, it, it is the absence of stock characters like Netanyahu. Uh, the Chinese president isn't here. The Putin isn't here. There's a whole lot of figures that you expect to see make an impact who are not here. And then, yeah, you had... Uh, President Erdogan come along and use the props and that prop that he used with the um, the map of Syria was quite graphic and, um, you know, it tells us that this, he's going to be doing something in Syria quite soon. I was surprised looking at the list of um, world leaders who are going to speak that the king of the Netherlands is going to give his country's address, which is very bizarre because the monarchy there is not an executive power. And he happens to be in town, and it seems that he will be giving the speech rather than the prime minister. So I'm actually really interested to hear what he's going to say, because he's not supposed to be political. So we'll see. That's that's yet to happen as we record this. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you both uh, for joining me for this special edition of Beyond the Headlines. For our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe by tapping the button in your podcast app. We were produced this week by Aisha Khan from New York City. I'm Willie Lowry.